This episode is brought to you by our friends at Unibuddy. Unibuddy is a student engagement platform that helps higher education recruitment, marketing, and admissions professionals attract, engage, and convert prospective students. Unibuddy helps students make one of the most important purchasing decisions of their entire life, and that decision is where to go to college. One of the ways they do this is by giving prospects real-time access to real people at your university. Here's how it works. A prospective student named Sam stumbles upon your school's business major website page, and he starts reading about your program offering. After a few seconds, a warm pop-up form invites Sam to chat with student ambassador Dan, who, you guessed it, is currently studying business at your university. After some quick niceties, Sam admits he's been looking at your school for some time now, but has yet to submit a formal inquiry or start an application. He's been to a couple of virtual recruitment events, but it's been hard to get a real feel for what life as a student, especially during these times, is actually like. Dan talks about his love of the entrepreneurship course he's taking, how challenging but rewarding Accounting 101 is, and how impressed he's been with your school's response to the challenges that COVID has thrown everyone's way. After 15 minutes of chatting with Dan, Sam books a chat with one of your admissions counselors for next week, and then he goes on to create an application account. This experience is so much more powerful than a static chat window or a scripted chatbot. Unibuddy empowers people to make better decisions through shared human experience. Oh, and by the way, this peer-to-peer engagement platform, it's just one of Unibuddy's product offerings. Wait until you see their virtual events platform. It's totally game-changing. Don't get stuck in a prospective student's college shopping cart. Make the experience of accessing personalized peer-to-peer feedback as frictionless as possible. To learn more about Unibuddy and access a plethora of free resources to help you navigate student recruitment this year, head on over to enrollify.org forward slash Unibuddy, and we'll ping you directly to Unibuddy's Learning Hub. All right, you know, we are, we're back for episode two of this special Enrollify Unibody podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Zach? I'm doing excellent. Um, so if folks are just joining us, this is actually the second episode in a four episode series that, again, we're doing with the, the folks over at Unibody. If you want to, this episode will be great, but if you want to start at the beginning, you can scroll down to the show notes below and you can click over to episode one, where we just introduce Nina as... Unibuddy CMO. She talks a little bit about her story. We talk a little bit about these two surveys and corresponding reports that Unibuddy has recently released. So if you want to go in chronological, can't say that word, uh, order, you can do that. Otherwise, um, this conversation is a perfectly fine place uh, to join. So without further ado, um, Nina, we're going to be talking about the administration report, which is sort of like you guys put out these two surveys, these two reports. We talked about the uh, results of the student survey and some really interesting findings about how today's students are thinking about their approach to college, their search, their college search, and whatnot, things that matter to Gen Z, maybe more so than mattered to previous generations. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about how administrators, marketers, and uh, admissions folk are thinking about recruiting these next generations. So that's our that's our goal for the day. Excited to jump in. Wonderful. So you all, 
interviewed, or I should say the people that responded to your all survey was just shy of about 800 enrollment and marketing professionals. Although you mentioned, actually, I'm remembering this last episode, you said it was closer to nine. So I might have my numbers uh, off a little bit, but 800, 900, just shy of a thousand people that work in higher ed marketing and admissions responded to these, uh, to the survey. So I was hoping you could just kick us off, Nina, by giving us the broad strokes. What was the survey? Uh, how did you guys think about designing it? Um, and, and who responded to it? We really envision both of these surveys being an ongoing annual uh, initiative because it's really important to be able to understand how trends are changing over time. We're at a very unique point uh, coming out of the pandemic to first be able to understand where have admissions and recruitment professionals landed after COVID? Um, a lot has happened. A lot has changed. Um, you know, methods were tried out, experimented with. Um, what was adopted, but more importantly, what stuck? Hmm. And so we wanted to understand that a little bit better. Uh, number two, we wanted to understand where are they placing their bets these days? Um, you know, we talk a little bit about social media. We talked about online events. You know, how are they thinking about hybrid, traditional outreach, something entirely new? So we wanted to really have a baseline for the engagement methods being used and how they're weighting attribution against each of these. And then finally, um, we want to understand how comfortable admins feel talking to Gen Z, mm. right? Uh, there's chatter in the market about Gen Z students making their own unique mark on the search journey. We wanted to understand, is that true and what's fundamentally happening? Yeah, yeah. Super, super important. Um, what's, what's funny is when... We, we did a, a road show actually, and actually Unibuddy sponsored this. Uh, so thank you. Uh, this was uh, earlier this year. We went and we talked to a bunch of students uh, on the West Coast in both San Francisco and San Diego, several schools in, in both cities. And it, one of the one of the, like the jarring, or maybe it wasn't that jarring, maybe it was expected, but one of the things that was just confirmed time and time again is that there is this like gap that exists between how Gen Z wants to be communicated with respect to their college journey and how administrators are communicating with them. So I'm, I'm really glad that you guys did a more comprehensive uh, survey here. Because again, we, we got a bunch of really great anecdotes, but like, you know, we got 15, 20 students sharing their story over time, which is great, but you guys have much more comprehensive, uh, you know, quantitative data here too. So I, I'm excited to dive into it. Yeah, I mean, my approach for market research is always let's learn qualitatively and confirm quantitatively. Yeah. And, you know, one-to-one -one interviews really allow you to go deep. Very impressed that you were able to choose San Diego and San Francisco. Like, Well-chosen well cities. To be fair, uh, they were unibuddy-chosen cities. It wasn't just like, hmm, ooh, I want to plan a trip to California. Let's make this happen. It was unibuddy's well, choice. So, <laughs> Kudos to, to the team then because those are excellent choices. I mean, 10 years ago, that would have actually impacted your results because – uh, much more tech savvy 10 years ago mm. on the West Coast than on the East Coast. But now students are all tech savvy. So, um, But yeah, I mean, now it was the opportunity for us to test some of our hypotheses through this survey. As you reflect on, on this survey and what were some of the questions that you asked folks that you thought were particularly meaningful or uh, just questions that you were you were most excited about? 
I think sometimes the most interesting questions are the forward-looking ones. Mm. Uh, you can document what's happening today, but one of the questions that I was most excited to ask about was what will cause the biggest disruption to higher ed in the next five years? Ah. Uh, and interestingly, yeah, you know, you hear about hybrid learning, which definitely is a buzz on the teaching and learning side. Um, adoption of new technology, sure. I mean, you might hear that in any vertical uh, that you're you're speaking to. But interestingly, over half of respondents said the biggest disruption will be an increase or a change in student expectations and demands. Huh. And so, you know, that's on the radar. That's probably causing a bit of anxiety. Um, and so we can unpack that further. Um, another great question was, what is the greatest obstacle to staying connected with students and knowing that there is sometimes between recruitment teams and students a generational gap? Sometimes there isn't, but there, there, there is amongst some. And so understanding, you know, how we stay connected with students to keep that pulse is really critical. So 43% said losing student interest to competition hmm. um, is a big obstacle. 36% said having trouble moving students through the funnel. So keeping them engaged, compelling and propelling them forward on that journey. And then 20% said difficulty attracting students. So that's a top of funnel concern um, that we've heard from a lot of institutions that are really trying to say, hey, we've got great conversion yeah. through our process. We do keep them engaged. We just need the numbers to be higher. Yeah. Um, so that was that was an interesting mix. Um, and then the third question that I found really interesting was, what do they expect the future of student recruitment to look like? So again, forward looking. Um, and, you know, we were more trying to get to how are they thinking about traditional methods, online methods, hybrid. Yeah. yeah. By and large, 86% said hybrid is the future and we need to be able to adapt and accommodate students based on you know where they want to be met. So that was a really interesting insight as well. If I, if I remember correctly, too, from uh, from the report, too, only like five or six percent of folks who responded said as much digital as possible, which I actually think is like a super interesting uh, thing, thing to just keep in mind is that especially when it comes to to recruitment, there is just so much it, it, colleges are selling not just, you know, uh, an outcome, they're selling an experience, right? And experiences are oftentimes felt tangibly, right? And physically, right? While, you know, the digital experiences are great. They just, they don't, I mean, COVID is a good testament to this. Uh, they just don't replace in-person uh, experiences. And so I think it's, while we talk all the time on this podcast about digital recruitment strategies and digital marketing, it's just an important reminder. And I think that your, your data here backs it up that like schools still need to think very progressively about how to design in-person kind of physical, maybe even print, right, experiences to contrast, uh, and hopefully complement actually, but complement sort of the, the digital expressions of a university's brand. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would go as far as print, but <laughs> everything else I totally agree with. And this is, a, this is a stat to keep an eye on, right? Yeah. How is this actually going to change over the years? Um, you know, are students going to get more quote unquote digital yeah. and how is that actually going to impact the strategies that recruitment teams use? Yeah. I, am also intri intrigued by the whole student expectations and the demands, right? I see this as like, okay, it's really great that higher education administrators are, are thinking about this and they're, they're, you know, if you're concerned about it, it means it's on your mind, right? It'd be interesting to see if that has to do with, just an increase in options of alternative uh, forms of education, things like coding boot camps, right? Uh, the the Lambda schools, or the I think they call themselves the Bloom Institute now of the world, 
right? Uh, opportunities with uh, you know, with ISAs, income share agreements and whatnot, and how that is threatening higher ed, or whether it's like, no, there's just more more traditional colleges and universities are offering things that we can't compete with. Um, and therefore, students' expectations of what we can do are just are just greater. Yeah, I mean, I think what's important to remember is that students vary, right? And their their attitudes, their motivations, their behaviors, their goals, their aspirations as humans all vary, right? And so um, I find that the institutions that are going to thrive uh, in, in this sort of post-pandemic world are the ones who are actually going to be able to offer multiple paths mm. uh, to the, you know, and meet them in terms of their objectives. And, you know, you're not going to get the one size fits all model. Sure, you need to understand what your differentiation is and what that value proposition is and what's unique about your institution. But at the end of the day, having different paths to success is representative of what we see in the world today. Um, And that's what that's what boot camps have really kind of capitalized on is that there's more than one way to success now. You know, I'm a staunch advocate for traditional higher education. Otherwise, I wouldn't be, you know, working with institutions <laughs> to support that line of work. But, but you know, one size doesn't fit all. What I also found interesting about this particular question around the disrupt, what will cause the most disruption in higher ed over the next few years, this idea of like hybrid learning, like being close, close to 25% people of, of respondents said that that was going to cause the biggest disruption. And I do think that um, schools are, are generally speaking, vastly under underprepared for what will happen when, if and when this does become just kind of totally mainstream. I do, I was having a conversation. He was in leadership. Uh, his name's Tim at uh, Southern New Hampshire University. Everyone knows SNH uses online programs. They actually have a physical campus that you can go to and students, you know, go there, they learn and whatnot. And so this was, uh, this was at their physical campus. I was interviewing him. And one of the most interesting things from that particular conversation was he was outlining this this vision that they have for, hey, you you want to come and be on you know on campus for a semester, great, right? Next semester life gets a little bit crazy. You just want to you know be able to move virtually, no worries, like totally fine. You know the semester of that you want to do a hybrid. You want to come to class two days a week, but then you want three days a week of classes online, you know, virtually whatnot, no worries. And he talked about like how. There, right now, there's not like a, a great example of a frictionless process, right, through which a student can kind of like work their way through a four-year degree in a hybrid, fully in-person and or fully remote experience without lots and lots of issues like along the way and having to, you know, a lot of these courses aren't even offered in these other modalities, right? And his whole point, which I thought um, was super interesting, and this data, I think, could back this up a little bit, right, was that schools of the future will have to they'll have to if they want to compete they'll have to find a way to deliver content in the format and in the way in which students want at that particular season and guess what as you mentioned earlier nina students all want different things right so to be i'm I'm going off here a little bit but like the point being it'll be really interesting to see how this evolves because i i do think the schools that can get ahead of this and can get find ways to design course modalities in a variety of formats for a variety of different constituents, they're going to have a leg up on everybody else. Um, Because I think that this is where we're going. It's just a matter of like, how soon will we get there? Yeah. I mean, I'll tap into my previous life a little bit, a topic that we talked about a lot in the world of teaching and learning, especially as the pandemic was, was unraveling in front of us. 
that there are innovative institutions, the brilliant minds at the likes of Penn State and Ohio University that are realizing, sure, it's really good for students, but it's good for faculty to be Uh, able to have that flexibility. And it's good for the institution from an ROI perspective. If you've got an oversubscribed class that requires physical buildings to be able to support classrooms and lecture halls, to be able to support those students, is that really the best way to learn? Or are they going to learn better at a front row seat in front of their computer with a really engaging instructor who knows and has been trained to teach in an effective online methodology and pedagogy? I mean, now we're at the point where we can't always say in-person is better, right? And so there are institutions that are putting resources and time and thought into thinking about what that hybrid strategy looks like. And, and I think those are the ones that are kind of like thinking forward first, right? Future first. Hey, everybody. Zach from Enrollify here. You know that feeling you get when your boss tells you to go find a new CRM or when you're tasked with finding a handful of digital agencies to respond to your RFP? It's exciting, but it's also a little overwhelming. Where do you start? How do you know what software or service provider is the best fit for your school's unique context? Well, that's why the Enrollify team built Chatter, a feedback platform built to help higher ed marketing and admissions teams find the software, services, and resources that they need for success. Chatter is your one-stop shop for reviews on CRMs, student information systems, application software, marketing agencies, online program managers, branding agencies, higher education associations, professional development resources, and much, much more. Our goal is to equip you with the information that you need to make the right purchasing decision for your team. Get started by reading reviews and writing one of your own, and then invite your colleagues to do the same. Click the link in the show notes below or head on over to enrollify.org forward slash chatter. Chatter, it's where great decisions start. And, you know, it's not to undermine just how challenging all this is and how everyone's, you know, in a totally different um, state. But again, based off of uh, th- this data, it's it's kind of I think it's good to hear that 25 percent of respondents are, are are concerned about hybrid learning and how that will play out within the context of, of their institution. Um, Nina, as you as you step back and sort of think about the the results of this this survey a, a little bit more holistically, what are just some other sort of general insights uh, that you find to be interesting? Yeah. So I'll say, uh, first off, it was really interesting that only to this point that we're talking about, only 7% of respondents prefer to go back to the old ways of student recruitment, um, more in-person, less digital engagement. I mean, it's refreshing to see that, you know, folks are embracing online and, and education in general typically seen as slow to adapt, but is actually seeing a really big percentage of respondents here wanting to keep digital in play, which is really really great for students, for the entire ecosystem. Um, The other interesting insight was that 95% of respondents said that peer-to-peer engagement is critical, Hmm. um, which makes sense. You know, in our previous episode, we talked about the importance of the student voice and providing that authenticity. What was interesting to me was that a third of those institutions have an ambassador program and run it offline only, meaning they aren't really offering a digital way for prospects and ambassadors to connect. So they're connecting them in person through campus tours or campus visits. Um, But by and large, you know, students who spend eight hours online, three hours of which they're spending (laughs) on social media, 
not having an option to connect once they go back home with that student voice. Oh, shoot, I forgot to ask this question. Or my friend raised this really good point. Do I do I understand that about the institution I'm applying to? Well, how do I find that out? And it would be really nice to be able to connect with someone who's been there, done that, been in those shoes before. So um, an opportunity, I think, for us to think about how do we scale those student connections? Yeah. And I think this topic is something that is, is you know, on the top of many folks' minds of like, everyone knows the at the end of the day, students want to hear from students. Of course, they want to hear from faculty. And they, of course, they want their questions answered about financial aid. But again, per our previous episode where we talked about some of the with the biggest concern that today's students have when thinking about college is like, am I going to make friends? Like, am I going to find people that are like me that I like, right? And I want to spend time with, right? Um, and uh, so this idea of how do we help connect prospects with current students, uh, again, is is I, I do believe at the top of at the forefront of marketer uh, marketing and admissions professionals minds. I do think that there's still just like, I, I don't know if I don't know if it's a lack of understanding of how or like resources or technology, like, I, I guess my question for you, Nina is, from from this survey or just other or the other surveys that uh, Unibody has uh, conducted and or just anecdotally, like what are some of the reasons schools haven't been more aggressive at finding ways to create digital student ambassador programs from from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we talked a little bit in the in the first episode about resource constraints. Um, so a new technology, I think, typically is is appealing from a yeah. value proposition perspective, but daunting in terms of imp- implementation and resourcing. Um, and then, you know, concern about realizing the ROI if it's not implemented really well. I mean, lots of bandwidth constraints, yeah. and 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 then related to that is budget constraints. Yeah. So. Um, you know, in reality, the budget that's required to invest in the technology probably is, um, you know, is is definitely more manageable than the budget that you're implicitly putting towards connecting students manually, right, through that kind of a process. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's dollars and cents that yeah. need to go towards technology. And I'll say, like, probably the third reason is simply awareness. Yeah. Um, you know, knowing whether there's actually a better alternative out there is is often the reason that a lot of us kind of keep doing things the way we've been doing them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somewhat related, but also somewhat tangential. <laughs> <Little bit. laughs> um, do, do you are you aware of schools that do like affiliate programs with their current students? Like, is that a thing? Like, I'm thinking about, you know, if if and this is probably I don't know maybe this is a horrible idea, but like, are are there do are there programs that exist where hey if I go and I refer these three people that went to my high school through sort of like a, a digital student ambassador technology is, is there a way to like get a discount on my tuition next year or like are are schools thinking about this yet? That's a fascinating question. So I was just speaking with a partner institution and what they're doing is actually experimenting with having high school ambassadors in a given region, uh. Uh, given province here in Canada. And what they're actually experimenting with is if you can actually participate and be one of those high school ambassadors, when you matriculate to that particular institution, we'll give you a thousand dollars off your tuition, for Got example. So it. usually enough of an incentive to, you know, if the student is not self-motivated to participate <laughs> in an ambassador, maybe a prompt from a parent uh, who's excited to see that thousand dollar rebate come back. 
um, is enough to kind of get them motivated. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we should be thinking about what incentivizes students to to be able to you know engage with other peers. Some do it for the love of the game, which yeah. is awesome. Um, but let's be honest, students are busy and 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 have other demands on their time. So, yeah. um, you know, many programs, especially in the U.S., ambassador programs are actually compensated. Yeah. Uh, and that's typically like enough incentive. And so I think it varies in the different jobs that you could ask uh, ambassadors to do um, may vary depending on whether you're paying them or not. Yeah, yeah. It'd be I, again. I'm sure this this has to be orchestrated so well, um, and there's so many ways this goes horribly. But like, I think I think in a world where resources are are so limited, where staff hired staff like they just don't have time. They can't afford to give like one to one. You know, again, depending on your institutional context, one to one attention to all these students. And even if they could afford to afford it, they're not always the right people to be talking to these students, right? Like that's the whole, that's the beautiful thing about this like peer-to-peer recruitment model that you guys, uh, you guys champion is this idea that no, like students want to hear from other students like them, right? If you're an international student, you want to be able to talk to and connect with a student who came from your country, right? Maybe even your province or your region within that country. Uh, chances are that you, you know that you have enough staff to accommodate that across the globe like probably not right and so if there was a way to do it well i think this this idea of essentially like mobilizing a, a sales force right of like like okay how do we convince the best champions of our brands like to go out and help us recruit prospects from their region you know their countries their their schools etc is there a way to give some, uh, you know, uh, incentive? Maybe it's just a financial kickback, but again, maybe it's maybe it is a discount, right? Or it's like a, you know, it's a, a discount off tuition, right? So you can take more classes or, or just save a little bit of money, end up having to take out fewer loans, right? Or, or what have you. It, it seems like now might be that time where staff is continuing to diminish. Schools are really, really struggling to retain top talent within the context of their uh, marketing and admissions teams and maybe this is a you know not a solution but something that could act as as a band-aid <laughs> um, and maybe now's the time to really kind of you know experiment with models like this i mean a major part of a marketing strategy is amplification right and and the more kind of voices that you have telling your story in different ways in authentic ways um, the better, right? And yeah. and so I think that's an investment that institutions are realizing. You know, for the first time at a conference I was at a couple of weeks ago, talking about influencers, right? In yeah. in, in higher education. I mean, what a time to be alive, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's fantastic that we're actually getting creative in the higher ed space about how we're trying to reach students. Um, but talk talk about sort of like uh, equipping students too with like real skills, right? Like if you if you're in a student ambassador at your college or university and you've you've had experience helping attract and convert right students to your your school, you've sold them on your product. Talk about being able to add that to your resume. And if you want a job in sales or marketing anywhere else, like you graduate with that experience, right? And employers love that stuff, love that stuff. And that's so much more than like, Hey, like I just, I gave campus tours, giving a campus tour. That That's great. And that should be on your resume. But if you can also add, Oh, I also helped, you know, bring X number of students over the course of my, you know, three years to this, to this student or to this university rather, like there's, there's a, there, there are dollars associated with each of those students. I mean, I can tell you right now that our sales team is full of former Unibuddy student ambassadors. <laughs> there you go. Are, there you go. Are, who are doing an amazing job. So there you go. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, Nina, as you as you look at this report, um, 
what what if anything is 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 most jarring or, or most surprising yeah i mean i think that you know universities are facing fierce competition for students um it's not just about the number of traditional higher ed institutions in the U.S., which boggles anyone's mind when you talk to anyone outside of the U.S. I mean, the amount of choice is so great. But as we talked about, it's not just coming from within higher education. It's more, even more pervasive these days mm. from the options students have to chart their own course outside of education, right? Um, they're aware of entrepreneurship paths. They're aware of alternative credential paths that get them into the workforce early and get them the on-the-job training that they're looking for as opposed to staying in the classroom. And so the fight to win students is on. Um, those students that do want to follow the path of higher education um, expect to see stats on the types of successful alumni that mm. in institutions produce, right? Graduation employee rate, employment rates, uh, career progression. These are key stats to showcase in institutional marketing. Um, and, it, and it can really set you apart from that competition. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are great. On the outcomes piece specifically with alumni I always thought it would be like a really cool campaign and it, this requires like a lot of foresight um, and a lot of planning so maybe it's maybe it's just too hard but thinking about like what does it look like to track like a cohort of students like one year three year five year ten years out and be able to compile that video where like you're tangibly showing hey after the first year this is where I was at uh, three years from now this is where because a lot of times the the ROI of an education takes a while to to you know to play out right and it's still at the end of the day is oh wow this you know the x dollars i spent on school and i'm now making y i paid down my student debt considerably okay i i, I can see the return on investment here right uh, but but sometimes that doesn't happen after year one for most people or even after year three for most people right and some people are lucky if it happens after year 10 but like if you could show that and package it in a very quick um you know dynamic authentic way i actually think it it would add a lot of credibility it would also just help level set expectations of like hey look you're not a failure if your first job out of school like me you know is is, is that you're making x dollars and your student loan is is why like that that's actually not crazy like it's going to get better right like you can't judge your educational experience based off of the first job that you have out at, out of college and again i don't think most people think that way but i do think sometimes especially when we talk a lot about outcomes if a, a if a more concrete picture isn't painted i think people just resort to thinking like oh well you know i paid thirty thousand dollars for this education my first job out of school i'm making 35 hmm i don't know was this worth it right um and and i think that that's um there's a lot of room to to get better at delivering and packaging this ROI in, in concise and just helpful formats for for students. Yeah, I mean, I know our audience can't see see us right now, but I'm like nodding <laughs> what you're saying, and this is why I'm a staunch advocate for traditional education. I I think that there isn't enough evidence being shown by institutions. Yeah. That, that you're describing that really shows the concrete outcomes. But you know who's providing that is these alternative credential programs. Yeah, these yep. kids. I mean, they are amazing <laughs> marketers that yeah. being able to say X percent of our students got placed in, you know, FANG yep. uh, you know, um, uh, companies that allow them to be able to make XYZ dollars in their first year out of the gate. Yeah. 
And that's fine if you're playing the short game, but yeah. that is, therein lies the danger of that model, unless you're supplementing and amplifying with other forms of education. But it's that four-year experience or you know, however long it takes now, <laughs> but four-year experience that I think really helps set you up for success in terms of that long game. And yeah, yeah you're right. Institutions are not taking advantage of the opportunity to put that front and center in their marketing materials. Because at the end of the day, that's what students are looking for. They're looking for those outcomes. They're looking for education to be less of like a broad based learning yeah. experience, unfortunately, yep. and more about a path to career success. Yeah. And what I what I would just uh, note there too, is that uh, it should, I, I agree, like the, the whole idea of Gen Z, and I would even say like, when I was in school, this was this was top of mind for me too, was this idea of, hey, I, I want to I know what I, I think I kind of know what I want to do. <laughs> I think I kind of know what I want to do. And I want a path that's going to like set me up for the most possible like success in, in that particular direction. Uh, so that was like present on my mind as well. But what that doesn't, what that didn't mean, at least in my context, and you know, when I've talked to students on these roadshows and other students that we've had on this podcast, I, I ask them these questions as well. It's like, where do you feel like you got like the best bang for your buck, right? Is, is one of the conversation is one of the questions I ask folks. And oftentimes, it's not just the coursework. The coursework, you know, tends to come up like, oh, well, I had this class. It was great. But it, but it is like extracurriculars. It's like, oh, well, hey, I was a part of this particular club. And this is where I was first introduced to what a Fang company was. Fang being, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, like very, very successful companies. And in this club, I, I learned about Fang companies. I realized, you know what? I want to go work uh, at startups. And then I heard about this thing called Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator. And, you know, I wouldn't have ever heard of YC if I if I hadn't like gone to this particular club. And thank God I went to this school and joined this club and that changed my life for forever, right? And and that's like, you know, a, a very specific anecdote. But the point I'm making is I think, I think the danger for folks is sometimes when we hear like students want outcomes, like it's we we only think about things like career outcomes and like students just want to take the classes they have to take so they can graduate with a business degree so that they can go on to do you know this this thing and i think that that's maybe true for some students i would actually argue that what students want is they want that but they also want the extracurriculars that are going to make contextual sense with what they're trying to do and they want that to be communicated it's not just about the coursework right? It's not just about not having to take gen eds. It's actually about like, hey, what are the extracurricular opportunities? Maybe maybe I don't care about football. Maybe I don't, you know, want to do dance, right? Like, those are great things. But like, maybe that's just not my path. What are the things that you do offer that are going to match me, right? And, 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 and help me on my journey to where I want to be in addition to, you know, my coursework. And I feel like that those those uh, ancillary things aren't sold enough in a way that makes sense, uh, or at least uh, is simple enough for I think a lot of prospects to understand. It's absolutely right. You know, yesterday I was telling my daughter about how the best you know quarter I had in my undergraduate experience was the one that I spent off campus studying abroad. Mm. There's another extremely under you know rated experience yeah. that can completely change your outlook on not just your career, but on life. Yeah. Right? And the opportunities that it can open up and just the, the world that it opens you up to. Um, and, and you're right. Sometimes that's downplayed in the name of like, you know, here is the career success that we're going to set you on. And yeah. I just don't think the two need to be mutually no. exclusive. No. To your point. We can set students up for really fantastic careers 
at the same time that we're also setting them up for broad-based learning and critical thinking yeah. and being able to collaborate with others to be able to achieve a broader goal, right? Like these are all things that we can do inside the classroom. Like yeah. even, even if we're talking out, you know, forget the extracurriculars for a second, you can do both things in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and I think institutions that are doing that, and many are, need to put that front and center yeah. in, in what they're delivering in terms of their value proposition. Helping contextualize and bring down to earth the value of a particular experience. And I think that that's, that's just, if you're looking for, if you're listening to this and you've been looking for like a unique value proposition or a differentiation statement that you can work on to communicate some aspect about your program, think about like, is there, is there an experience that we offer that is that you know is incredible that we just don't talk enough about why don't we talk about it enough maybe it's hard to explain okay well how do we make it easier to explain right and just spend a little bit of time like working on that and and sell that within the context of some larger promise of outcome yeah or better yet have your students talk to your prospective <laughs> students about yeah. that, right like have them talk about firsthand the impact that those experiences have had on them yeah um as we talked about last time, Nina, uh, or, or last time we talked a lot about uh, Gen Z and, and how um, the, the, the survey that you guys ran to uh, current, mo mostly, I guess, uh, seniors and folks that had just graduated uh, from high school. I think everyone uh, that completed the survey was 18 years or older. Um, and we talked a lot about kind of their expectations, how they're thinking about their journey to college. As you consider this report um, and the the insights garnered from this survey, what gaps, if anything, uh, if any, did you see between how students responded and how administrators responded? Yeah, um, so we we actually expected to see a lot more gaps or misalignments than there actually were. So, you know, kudos to administrators that like, you know, they're on the same page as students on a, on a number of topics and where the alignment was really strong. You know, I'll give a couple of examples. Students consider a, a, a variety of dimensions as they're moving through their admissions and application journey. But when they're actually making the decision and deciding where they want to study, um, financial aid is the most important factor. Hmm. Admins understand that. Students understand that. Yeah. They also understand that career opportunities after graduation are, are also at the top of the list. So on the same page about that. Similarly, you know, everyone agrees it's beneficial for prospective students to speak with current students during their search journey. I think it was 92% of students agree, 95% of, of admins agree. So a lot of alignment and therefore a lot of activity around these types of topics yeah. to be able to support students, which is fantastic. We can talk a little bit about the gaps. So administrators believe students are using social media the most to do their research, hmm. right? And, and of course, why wouldn't we? Three hours spent on social media every day by the average Gen Z person. Um, and and in general, we just hear a lot about TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and da-da-da-da-da, <laughs> right? But in fact, students are still going to the university website as their top place to get their information. It just tells us students are aware of like, you know, what's objective information yeah. or at least you know, more direct information. Where can they get all of the answers in one shot? And then where can they go to be able to supplement that, which might be social media? So a bit of a disconnect there. Um, 
I think that administrators are really focused on reaching all the new flashy channels, right? Uh, again, social media related, but less focused on the message mm. they're sending. And students expect the opposite. They're very happy to be engaged with through any communication channel. In the previous episode, we talked about he email was equally loved and disdained by students. <laughs> um, and it's because of the way that it's being used in terms of the message that's being delivered. And so, you know, really a call to action for administrators to think about how they can focus a little bit more on the message than the medium. Yeah. Uh, on, on just one follow up there too. I think maybe a good framework or a good question to kind of like wrestle with is if you can't find un until you can find a way to package the message in a way that makes sense for the channel, don't go to the channel, right? Like spend the time thinking about, all right, how does our message make sense on something like TikTok? Don't just go to TikTok. And if you can't make it work yet, if it doesn't make sense quite yet, then that's okay. It, it, you know, it'll, it'll make sense one, you know, one day, hopefully, but like, don't don't go to a platform until you've done the work of really thinking about how do our values, how do our unique value proposition, how do our differentiation points, how do they make sense? How will they make sense and be communicated effectively within the context of this, you know, this this particular channel? Too often we just kind of like rush into the channel, try to figure it out or try to adjust our message for the channel in a way that's like disingenuous. And I think like there's you'd be better. Your time would be better spent really thinking through in a critical fashion, how does our message make sense? How could our message resonate well within the confines of this particular platform? Okay. It reminds me of this life lesson I learned when I was applying to undergrad in institutions and, you know, I'm applying to one school and have finished all the essays. They're perfect. They address the prompt so well. It's so excited. And then you move to the next school and you say, I'm just going to take those essays. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tweak them a little bit and force fit them into these prompts. Uh, and then, you know, it had to be my dad who was reading them and was like, uh -uh, this doesn't work. You got to start from scratch. <laughs> right. And it matters in marketing. It's exactly what you're saying is that, you know, you have to think about who the audience is, what that medium is how how communication and messages are best consumed on on that channel yeah yeah one of the things that i found actually really good uh this was like an encouraging sign to me as i as i looked over both of these uh these reports was this this sort of like resounding theme that community matters more than ever before students are worried about finding community and administrators are really focused on finding ways to help create community Again, obviously for existing students, but also for, for prospective students. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, obviously student ambassador programs seem to be like uh, right now a vehicle through which the the wrestling with how to do community is, um, is, is happening, right? It's taking place here. When you think about student ambassador programs, like what um, what makes them work really well? And, and what are some things that student ambassador programs that don't take off are probably doing that they that they shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of administrators worry about making sure that their ambassadors are the most gregarious, the most like, you know, involved on campus, um, the best communicators, the the sort of cheerleaders of the institutions. And there is a place for those folks in your ambassador program. But I'll go back to the point that we were discussing earlier in this episode, which is you know, not all students are the same and yeah. one size doesn't fit all. And so getting as many um, 
and, and as diverse a panel of ambassadors on board is the most effective way to serve your students through an ambassador program. More representation, more diversity, more authentic experiences means you can appeal to a broader array of prospective students. Yeah. And, and let's be real. I mean, diversity is one of the key goals of you know, uh, uh, aggregating sort of a really great class of students that can learn from each other's experiences. Um, if those are all really homogenous experiences, you're not going to get the same, you know, value out of your undergraduate education. Um, I'll also say that the flip side of that is also ensuring that you're educating your ambassadors mm. on how to address, um, in, in, you know, a variety of topics um, based on the conversational insights that we see through our Unibuddy platform. You can see that the array of topics is vast yeah. that students are asking about, and you don't want to have to limit what they can what they can have a conversation about. So instead, educating your ambassadors. And then as one partner institution uh, was telling me is really critical is teaching them when to pass the baton mm. to a staff member or an administrator, or even in pulling in a faculty member that could answer questions about, say, a pedagogical approach or a course structure that's been chosen. And those questions do arise. I mean, I think, you know, by the time you're actually getting to April, when decisions are being made, I think it was something like a million messages alone had been asked about courses, class structures, wow. pedagogy, professors, faculty, right? So um, you want to make sure that you're training your ambassadors to be able to answer those questions. And, and know when to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm out of my league here. I'm going to pass it to the expert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. That's, that's so important. And, and hopefully just also uh, diffuses some of the pressure for why an ambassador might not want to join your program. If, if they have this fear, right. That, oh gosh, well, I, I, I don't know how I would answer a question like this. Uh, just diffusing that I think is, is especially important. Um, yeah, we've, we've also kind of amped up the way the types of content that ambassadors can share mm. on the Unibody platform, you know, so making sure that you can share video and you can share different types of images and stuff like that, that students want to be able to share. We found that that actually has almost like cleared the writer's block. Uh, but if you ask students to just kind of sit down and say, hey, write about your class experience, they, they may not know where to start, but now, you know, allowing them to be able to speak to other students in a language that they're used to, um, which is multimedia, suddenly that can help them express themselves. My, my last question for you, Nina, at least for this episode, is um, what, when you, when you think about this, again, report in, in the aggregate, um, you think about the conversation we just had. What are what are a couple things that you think folks who are working in marketing and admissions should should kind of take away from both this this data and then and then also the things that we've been talking about over the last couple episodes? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think in the short term, it's it's really straightforward, which is listen to your students. If the biggest concern by far is the shifting demands of Gen Z students, keeping a pulse uh, and an ear to the ground seems really obvious, but. Um, the disconnects that we did see between students and admin survey results tell us that administrators still have some room to open their minds to evolving <laughs> needs, right? Um, and, and couldn't we all continue to learn more? 
I think in the medium term, um, you know, it was really interesting around sort of the hybrid strategy. So continue to evolve your hybrid event strategy and the different modes and modalities you're using for students to be able to engage with you. Um, the majority of our respondees intend on doing so, you know, continuing with the hybrid because they see the value in mm. offering Q&As or offering drop-in sessions or office hours to students who can't make it to campus. And I think institutions could fall far behind if they aren't kind of continuing to work at this piece of the puzzle. Um, and then I'd say long-term, we talked about it in the previous episode a little bit, but it's staying agile. Right. Yeah. Uh, if nearly half of the admin surveyed a report that reaching Gen Z students is a challenge, it's proof that strategic improvements can and, and should be continued to make. And, and if more than half believe that an increase in student expectations and demands will cause that big disruption to higher ed in the next five years, got to remain on your toes, right, to, to clock these changes as they come. And so agility uh, in in this day and age is is no longer a nice to have. It's a need to have. Ah, so well said. Um, I, I love this. I, I love the work that you guys are doing. I'm so glad that you're taking the time out of your busy schedules to, to do original research. I think it's actually uh, – there's not enough of it. Uh, and, and when it does come out, it either tends to be just way too broad to be helpful, or it's just not frequent enough, quite frankly, where it's like, okay, well, yes, this was something that happened two years ago at this particular junction. And we're just talking about this now. Like, so these, I, I love these smaller, more, more, more concise, more focused um, surveys and, and reports. It's very helpful for the whole community. So thank you to you and your team for, for again, um, making time to put this stuff together. If you haven't accessed these reports uh, below, if you just scroll down to the show notes, you'll be able to, uh, you'll be linked right over to landing pages that will have both the student side, the student pulse report, as well as the admin pulse report. Uh, Nina, thank you so much for, for your time and looking forward to continuing the conversation in future episodes. Thanks so much, Zach. Same here. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you liked this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.